Hello everybody, Ben Rogers here, the Raptors Digest. Now, the Toronto Raptors just had probably the most exciting series in Raptors history uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers. These playoff run, it's been so anticipated as the Raptors bring in Kawhi Leonard, and he certainly did not disappoint. The team didn't disappoint. Despite there, there being some up and downs, they got the result we wanted and did it in remarkable fashion. That shot that Kawhi Leonard hit was certainly the most ridiculous thing I've ever watched a Toronto Raptors player do, arguably any player do. It's been unprecedented for someone to hit a game winner in a game seven of a series. But if you want the full emotional breakdown, you know, just our pure reaction to that that game, the the winning of the series, check out our last video in our post-game reaction pod to game seven. Because in that, like like all Raptors fans, there wasn't much focused thought there, breaking down the nuance of of the game, anything like that. It was just pure, raw emotion, pure, raw excitement, you know, and that was a really fun pod to make. But there was a lot of things that we can break down about not just Game 7, but the whole entire Philadelphia 76ers Toronto Raptors series that's going to be important going forward. Now, we have another video, I believe, coming tonight or tomorrow, which is showing the reactions all you guys have of, of that game and how exciting it is, because when you have a moment like that for the team you're rooting for, it's... Something you never forget. They're moments that are, are just remarkable feelings, and we, we want to see your guys' reactions because I'm sure that we weren't the only ones that, that were going crazy in front of our TVs, doing doing all that sort of stuff. So that's coming tonight or tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure. But this this video is kind of breaking down all the, the things that we could take away from the Sixers series. There's a breakdown coming of the Bucks raptors series tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. But there have certainly been some highs and lows from the, the Raptors' playoffs so far, specifically this series. And we can take a look at the players first. We won't get into him too much because he's been remarkable. Everyone knows he's remarkable. Kawhi Leonard has really stepped up his game in these, this postseason and going forward because we'll, we'll probably end up facing the Bucks and the Warriors if we end up moving forward and progressing through the playoffs. But uh, the, the Kawhi Leonard-Giannis matchup is going to be ridiculous. But Kawhi Leonard has stepped up in all forms, all possible ways he could have. You know, in the regular season, he averaged 20 six points per game uh seven rebounds three assists and just the just the philadelphia series you know the the first really important series and he was remarkable against the magic as well but in the philadelphia series he averaged 35 points per game about 10 rebounds four assists a steal and a remarkable play seemingly every game so Kawhi, he's doing it on remarkable percentages. He's shooting 53% from the field, uh, 33% from the three-point line, which is a bit lower than his regular season average, where he was shooting over 37%. But still, that's the that's the only place where he's regressed, and that, that's to expect when all of the defense is on him. But his field goal percentage has gone up. His Everything else has just been remarkable. His true shooting for this series was uh, was the 63%. That That's some Hall of Fame. That's some GOAT-type level stuff for the, the volume of shots that he's been taking. But that's enough about Kawhi Leonard. We've literally talked about him nonstop over the past couple weeks. We won't stop talking about him going forward. But the rest of the Toronto Raptors have been kind of polarizing throughout these playoffs because our one constant has been Kawhi playing at a top-notch high level. And everyone else has kind of been up and down because we haven't had another reliable second piece, which is... Pretty surprising, because throughout the regular season, even throughout the Magic series, pretty we can rely on most players to really fulfill their role, you know, give what's expected of them. So we're going to start with the top of the totem pole, Pascal Siakam. He's been, the he's established himself as the number two option for the Toronto Raptors on offense. Still, I'd argue maybe Kyle Lowry is the second most important piece, but Pascal Siakam's our second 
best player in terms of who we're relying on to guard the best players to get some buckets behind Kawhi Leonard. So Siakam, he's really stepped up in this postseason. Now he's had that calf injury that kind of slowed him down in the Philadelphia 76ers series. But even with that, Pascal Siakam, he's averaged, he averaged 19 points per game, uh, just above 19 points per game against the Sixers, uh, six rebounds, two assists, two steals, and had some really big games, some big moments, especially before he got hurt. Now, we talked to death about how remarkable he was in the Orlando series, but there were some, certainly some shaky moments in the, against the Philadelphia 76ers, and we should get into them now because I think everything we've seen from Pascal Siakam should be encouraging moving forward in terms of, you know, next season, his ability to take the leap from a star starter player to a year in, year out all star, borderline superstar player. I think he's going to be capable of taking that leap because he doesn't look shook at all in the, on the biggest of stages, but the Toronto Raptors are all in on this year, and we really need him to produce at a high level going forward in the Eastern Conference Finals, and if we, you know, end up getting past the Bucks in the Finals. And the one thing that's been a bit discouraging for me ever since he sustained that calf injury, I don't want to say he looks scared on the court, but he's been a bit tentative with this game. Pascal Siakam is a guy that's a spark plug. He's never slowing down. He's never afraid to go to the rim and take his shots, do his spin moves, you know, because a lot of his game is built on going to the rim with a full head of steam and, and getting those buckets. And the reason that's been so effective this season is because he's added a jump shot to his game, so the defense has to respect him. And I know a lot of people will argue that he's still not a good jump shooter, but the percentages check out. During the regular season, he was certainly above league average in terms of three-point shooting. You know, he he took about three a game, and he knocked down 37% of those shots. That's right around the Kawhi Leonard, Fred Van Vliet territory. Now, we I know those guys are probably taking harder shots because they, they get their shots more off the dribble and all that sort of stuff, but still, that's a very respectable three-point shot and something people have to guard. But the one thing that was a bit perplexing during the Sixers series, and we saw it more and more as the series went along, they had, they switched Joel and Beat onto Pascal, kind of taking away, because Joel's a huge body around the rim. He's very tough to finish over, he's, he's a great rim protector, and he's a lot bigger than Pascal Siakam. So, although Siakam did get the best of him a couple times on some drives, he's very good at those floaters and that sort of stuff. He com- definitely, certainly wasn't taken out of the series completely, but I'd argue in maybe three of the last four games, he, he didn't look like the star we expected him to be, the second option we wanted him to be for the Toronto Raptors, and maybe some of that was due to the injury, but the one thing where the, the injury doesn't really make sense, or it's not an accurate excuse for Pascal Siakam, is in the three-point shooting, because Joel Embiid completely played off Pascal Siakam from the three-point line, from the mid-range, and when teams did that in the regular season, even in the Orlando Magic series, Pascal made them pay. You know, I, I wouldn't argue he's, he's Steph Curry by any means, but he hits his open shots. He's very consistent. I know after the All-Star break, he was, I think, top five in the league in corner three percentage. He was certainly a guy that would make you pay if you left him open. But the fact that he's pretty tentative in shooting those shots when, you know, there was no one near him, you know, he looked to either drive or pass it off immediately. It was a bit perplexing as a Raptors fan because he's such a confident guy, especially when he goes to the rim. And his game, as I previously alluded to, it's built off confidence. It's built off the knowledge that he can go to the rim with a head of steam, knowing that there will be space, that the defenders will have to respect his, his drive, his shot, and all that sort of stuff. He needs to be confident in his jumper to really be that guy that we come to expect of Pascal from the regular season in the first round of the play. Playoffs. And I'd argue that's why his percentages were a bit lower in, in this Philadelphia 76ers series, even though he took a lot less shots than he usually does. You know, he only shot 44% from the field. 
he uh, he was about he shot about twenty seven percent from the three point line. Those those are those are significantly down from his regular season because you know his field goal percentage in the regular season was about about fifty five percent, and his three point percentage is already uh, iterated on is about thirty seven. So those numbers I'd like to see go up, and I think that's just a huge thing about confidence of Pascal Siakam. Now the one thing that's encouraging. That going into the Bucks series is Giannis is obviously an All NBA defender. He's a great lockdown guy, but he's the only real big wing defender that really scares me on the Milwaukee Bucks. Now you you could argue I know Nikola Mirotic is an underrated defender and he's a pretty he's running their power forward small forward position in the front court with Giannis, but I think by no means do I think he can guard Pascal Siakam, especially the fact that Pascal ate up great wing defenders like Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon in the first round of the playoffs and he did a very good job especially before he got injured against Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, whoever was switched on him against the Sixers. So I think Pascal Siakam should really be confident going at whether it be Ilyasova, whether it be Meritage, whether, you know, if Giannis is on him, then there's an excuse, but then we all know what Kawhi's going to do if he ends up with Meritage on him. So I think Pascal Siakam should really go to work, and if they do run the strategy the Milwaukee Bucks use in running their center, just kind of pack the paint when they guard Pascal Siakam, you know, if they throw Brook Lopez on him, who is an underrated rim defender, but he's by no means a good quality guy that, that should make you scared, he has to be confident in those three-point shots. So that's my thing, looking forward to Pascal Siakam going forward, and as we get into the actual Bucks raptors breakdown, we'll talk about that more more, but there's certainly been more positive than negative from Pascal Siakam, so that's encouraging. But we're going to swing it into, my, in my opinion, the second most important player for the Toronto Raptors, our engine, our bulldog, Kyle Lowry. No, I don't think he's carrying the second most load by any means, but it, when Kyle Lowry's going, when Kyle Lowry's playing, doing the things that we expect him to do, then this team plays infinitely times better. And there's been a lot of mixed opinions on Kyle Lowry. I know when he has a poor shooting night, a lot of people love to go at him. And there's a couple of games I'd argue where he, he deserved a lot of criticism, especially game three of the series where he was a minus 28 for the game. And on top of not shooting that well, he wasn't doing the other Kyle Lowry things that we come to expect. I think aside from that game three, we Kyle Lowry did everything that we needed from him. He didn't outshine expectations because if he did, then I think we'd kill, we'd kill any team that comes up against us. You know, if we get 2016 Kyle Lowry back, it's over for whoever we face. It could be the Warriors. It could be the 97 Bulls. I don't, I don't care. If Kyle Lowry's playing the way he did in that regular season, even that postseason run where he went up against the Heat and had a bunch of 30-point games, it's over. But that's not really his game this season. It's not really his game anymore. Obviously, he's, a, he's an older player now. He's had to adjust. But we'll break down the positives of Kyle Lowry in the postseason so far, You know, especially against the Sixers series. It's it's a tough matchup for the smaller guards, and Fred VanVleet's going to be a huge topic of discussion as well. But uh, Kyle Lowry, not the greatest shooting splits by any means. He shot 25% from three, which is unacceptable from Kyle. We want him to be at least be above 30 you know, 40% from the field, but his role with the Raptors isn't to be a main scorer anymore. And we need him to be aggressive and be a threat, but he doesn't need to be our main option. We need him to get those clutch rebounds, make those smart defensive plays, to set people up in the right position. And, you know, against the Sixers, he averaged six assists, but what's always the case with Kyle Lowry is... His, the box score doesn't reflect his impact on the game. It doesn't reflect how he gets people going. I think for a lot of the Sixer series, although, you know, a lot of us have been accustomed to Kyle Lowry being our number one option, and the fact that he can't do that anymore on a night-in, night-out basis, people might look at him as a poor point guard because he's not doing the things we've come to expect from Kyle Lowry, you know, the Kyle Lowry over everything era. 
But I think if he continues to play at this level, maybe increasing his open, you know, his ability to knock down open threes, his ability to just get a couple more buckets here and there, with Kawhi Leonard consistently playing like the best player in the NBA, we don't need another guy to, to put up 20 points a night, especially where Pascal Siakam has shown he's capable of doing that. You know, we need Kyle Lowry to keep doing the things he's doing. He's a perfect complimentary star for those two main guys on this roster. You can look at Game 7 when he, where he had two very clutch steals, a lot of clutch rebounds. He stripped the ball from Joel Embiid at one point. He takes charges left, right, and center. This is why Kyle's, you know, personally, he's my favorite player of all time, and he's such a fan favorite by a lot of people, but a lot of people don't like his game, so let me know what you guys have thought of Kyle Lowry so far in the postseason. I thought he's been above average, but above expectations, in my opinion. Hasn't really blown anybody away, hasn't been a a superstar by any means, but has done what the Raptors need him to do, and that's all we can request from Kyle Lowry, but now we're going to get into some of the things I'd like to see improved. And one player who's gotten a lot of credit from us, from Raptors fans, Marc Gasol. He has been a monster on the defensive end. We've gone up against two very quality centers for, you know, against the the Orlando Magic and Nikola Vucevic and Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. And maybe it's unfair to say we need more from Marc Gasol on the offensive end because of how much work and effort he's putting in defensively going up against, you know, two of the best big men in the Eastern Conference. Although against the Milwaukee Bucks, Brooke Lopez is certainly no Joel Embiid or Nikola Vucevic, but he brings a completely different threat to the Toronto Raptors. He's a stretch three big man who who shoots a lot of threes per game. I don't have the number in front of me right now, but he, he's gonna he's certainly gonna be a threat in terms of just spacing the floor for Giannis and being an annoying player that the Raptors always have to, to be focused on as a stretch five. And although there's a whole different kind of style to playing defense against a player like that, I certainly think it's going to be less of a defensive nuisance for Marc Gasol. I think he's going to have to expend less energy on the, the defensive end to guard Brook Lopez, even though that could be argued because he could be running all over the three-point line and, you know, Marc Gasol will have to run to help and close out. But I certainly think he's more manageable than uh, a guy like Joel Embiid or Nikola Vucevic. And Gasol, for all the positives that he brings to this team that we, we talk about all the time, you know, his passing and all that, his defense, his ability to space the floor. But the one thing we keep bringing up is he has a lack of aggression with this Toronto Raptors team that we never saw in Memphis. And maybe it's the schemes, maybe it's the Toronto Raptors, you know, Nick Nurse. We saw it with Jonas Valanciunas when he left the Raptors, he became a lot more aggressive and going to the rim and the offense ran through him. But the difference with Marcus Gasol, I think an issue and a, a lot of complaints that Raptors fans had about the the management of Jonas Valanciunas is he didn't get touches but Marcus Gasol is getting the ball he's you know from the eye test obviously we don't have a, a measure of number of touches or maybe it's out there if you do have someone has the number let me know but it, from the eye test the ball goes through Marcus Gasol a lot more than it did Jonas Valanciunas but he just doesn't look to shoot on a lot of occasions he's just looking to immediately zip the ball across the court and occasionally that's good to keep the flow of the offense going but I thought in the Sixers series, it would have been more effective for him to look for a shot on more of occasions. You know, get Joel and be tired, maybe in foul trouble. And he has a lot of moves in his game. He has post hooks, he has post fades. He, his footwork is remarkable when he actually goes in the in the block. He gets a lot of open threes that he sometimes just passes up for no reason. You know, I talked a lot about Pascal Siakam. He's a 37% three-point shooter. Marcus Saul for the Toronto Raptors was hovering around 45% for the 30 games that he played with this team. You know, 45% from the three-point line, that's upper echelon in the NBA. And the fact that he has Brooke Lopez going to be guarding him, I think he has to take his lunch money. I think Marc Gasol really should look to be a huge scoring presence 
in this series, and we were begging for a couple games there in the, the Philadelphia 76ers series for a second, third option to really step up. And it, when Pascal Siakam didn't really do that in a few of the games, we needed a second option. I think Gasol has to be looked at as one of those guys. And there's no excuses for, you know, in saying that he's being overworked or something like that against the Bucks, against a guy that's, you know, not an all-star tier center. So I'm hoping he adjusts and and is more aggressive and is more confident because we saw the the fact that he took less shots in the, the postseason, even though he didn't take a lot, and, you know, he took less than I wanted him to in the regular season. But even in, the, in that Philadelphia 76ers series, he, he wasn't shooting a lot from three. He didn't shoot the greatest percentages. You know, I mentioned it. He was about 44, 45% in the regular season for the Toronto Raptors. But against the Sixers, that 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 went down to 32%. That's a 13% drop. And I know everyone's percentages, three-point percentages are going to drop. And there's a smaller sample size, but... I'd like to see a more confident Gasol ready ready to be in attack mode. Now, by no means has he been a disappointment. I've really loved the way that he played in this postseason. But the the, the next three th- guys that we're going to get into have have been disappointments, in my opinion. Serge Ibaka turned it around the last couple games of the series, so we, we won't talk about him too much because he looks to be turning the corner and going back to his regular season form. Do I think he's going to be Steph Curry like he was in Game 7 against the, the Sixers? Probably not, but I don't expect him to struggle like he did in, in games against the Magic and the Sixers going forward. But Fred Van Vliet and Danny Green... They they fell off a map in this Sixers series, in the Orlando series. Danny Green was pretty good in the Orlando series, but against the Sixers, both of them were extreme disappointments for this team. And we can lump Norman Powell and the rest of the bench, whoever got opportunities there as well. But first of all, we'll talk about Danny Green, because his stats didn't completely fall off. You know, in the regular season, he's averaging about 10 points per game. That went down to... to 8.7 against the Sixers, and but his percentages went from about the, the mid-40s to about 37%, but he, he just didn't have the mojo, didn't have the swagger that we'd come to expect from Tanny Green in big moments. I think uh, we brought it up a lot in the regular season podcast. It seemed like in the last two, four minutes of every close game in the fourth quarter, he knocked down one or two threes that would completely swing the momentum in the Raptors' favor, and there wasn't any moments like that from him, and we've come, Danny Green's a playoff-tested champion, and we, we were hoping he'd step up in the playoffs, but it, it didn't really happen. But I'm, I'm hoping Danny Green will be able to turn it around. He's a guy I'm most confident will be able to do that. But Fred Van Vliet and Norman Powell, they objectively struggled. They were borderline horrendous for a lot of the series. Fred Van Vliet came out a lot more confident in Game 7. Still didn't, didn't really have it in terms of putting the ball in the hoop. But Fred Van Vliet shot 12%, 1.25% from, from the field. He shot zero, He shot 7% from the three-point line in the series, 63% from the free-throw line. When you compare that to what Fred Van Vliet was doing in the regular season, when you compare that to what Fred Van Vliet would have done at any other point in his career, those are just completely off-the-cliff off the numbers, just horrendous drop-offs, you know, in the, especially free-throw shooting. That's somewhere that's not even, it shouldn't even be affected, but he shot for 84% from the free-throw line in the season. You know, he shot 37 38% from the three-point line. You know, 30... 38% to 7% drop-off is remarkably bad. That's that's unacceptable for a guy that's so cemented, has such a load to carry for this team in terms of being the, the general off the bench. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with confidence, because especially the free throws, especially the free throws, when, the, when that drops by 20%, there's no one in front of you when you're shooting free throws, it's all mental. But I think a lot of that was also due to, and, and probably, you know, I elaborate how Kyle Lowry's percentages dipped off a lot in the postseason as well. Fred and Lowry are two very small statured guards. They're, they're two smaller players, and the Sixers, and even the Magic had a lot of length, and it was just tough for them to create shots for themselves. 
and get themselves get their games going. And unfortunately for Fred VanVleet, he let it stem into the rest of his game. They let you know he fouled a lot in the series. He turned the ball over. He wasn't making smart plays. That wasn't the case for Kyle Lowry, even in the games where he struggled shooting. But Fred VanVleet just let the, let his poor shooting struggles completely handcuff his game. Now the one encouraging thing going forward about Fred is. The Bucks, although a very strong defensive team, by you know, should not be taken lightly at all. They don't have as many long, wiry defenders. He, he'll probably be going up against Pat Connaughton, against you know Eric Bledsoe. Although those guys are, are strong defenders, by you know, not taking anything away from them, they're less long, they're less big, and Fred is used to going up against players that are a little bit bigger than him. He knows how to use his body against good defenders, be smart in terms of driving lengths, picking his spots, and they won't be able to be giant trees in the way of his three-point shooting. So I think I'm I'm expecting Fred to not be horrendous in this Eastern Conference final series. I think he can definitely step it up, and hopefully this will be motivation for Fred, because Fred is always a guy that bounces back when he has poor games, when he has a poor stretch. He's rarely lacking confidence, so I I might make a hot take. You know, I know Riker loves the hot takes, and you know I, I do as well occasionally. But my hot take is that Fred is going to have a big series against the Bucks, and maybe Norm. And we're running pretty long here, but Norman Powell he he had that remarkable that that series that earned him his big contract against the Bucks a couple years ago, and he he didn't even play in Game Seven against the Sixers. So maybe he'll get a resurgence and memories of that series back then. And shoot 90% or whatever he did back in the day from, from three-point line in that Buck series in 2017, I want to say. But I, I could talk for ages about the, the second round. And we're going to get a full breakdown of the Bucks raptors matchup coming up tomorrow. So I'm going to end it here. You know, you're the best for making this far. Check out the Twitter, the Instagram, all that cool stuff. There were some positives, some negatives from this, this second round matchup. But certainly one of the most exciting series I've ever watched. And a lot of things to take away as we move forward in our, our playoff push. So I'm signing out. Cheers.